0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Inside Julia's Kitchen is brought to you by Bob's Red Mill. Employee-owned Bob's Red Mill offers organic, gluten-free, stone ground products. Visit bobsredmill.com today.
0: Ever heard of a popcorn-driven robot? This week on Meet and Three, we're bringing you stories about the intersection of food and tech. We're interested in
1: building swarms of many cheap, small robots and powering them and driving them forward with as little effort and as little energy as possible.
0: We cover tech by land. Imagine if you could cut fresh microgreens onto your salad and eat it while the greens are still fresh and nutritious and delicious and alive. That dream is real. We cover tech by sea. We're building software-based business services to help shellfish growers uh, manage and grow their business. And we cover tech in the social media stratosphere. So it's not really necessarily an indictment on food media or, or for media consumption at all. It's really, it's it's how the robots decided they were going to wait human interaction. Tune in and get techie this week on Meet and 3. Available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your Podcasts.
1: Welcome to Inside Julia's Kitchen, the podcast, of the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts. I'm your host, Todd Shulkin, the Foundation's Executive Director. Our show takes you inside the Foundation's world to meet the talented people we have the good fortune of learning from all the time. On today's show, we welcome the newly announced Julia Child Award co-recipients, co-chefs, co-owners of Border Grill restaurants, trucks, and catering in Los Angeles and Las Vegas, Mary Sue Milliken and Susan Feniger. In today's episode, we're going to talk to Mary Sue and Susan about how it feels to receive this prestigious award, their long-term partnership, and we'll double up with a Julia moment from each of them. We'll be right back. the first part of Inside Julia's Kitchen, we launched the conversation with an inspiration from Julia. This one's pretty obvious, as Julia was the inspiration for the Julia Child Award. When the foundation was considering creating an award in Julia's name, the thought was, wouldn't it be great if there were more Julias? And we realized, there are. And it might help to shine a spotlight on what they're doing. And in shining that spotlight, we hope to enhance their contributions further support the causes that matter to them. One way we do this is providing the recipients with a $50,000 grant to give to the food-related nonprofit of their choice. And today, we're going to announce who Mary Sue and Susan have selected. So stay tuned for the big reveal. Now, the award criteria look for someone who has excelled at being an educator, communicator, innovator, mentor, bridge builder, has led with integrity and independence, and been public spirited, mirroring the core qualities Julia embodied. A high bar, to say the least. We were delighted when the award's independent jury decided that Mary Sue Milliken and Susan Feniger embodied them too. With their nearly 400 episodes of Food Network's groundbreaking Two Hot Tamales, as well as myriad other TV appearances, co authoring more than six cookbooks between them, they've certainly been educators and communicators. Tick. Their restaurants have broken new ground, introducing Angelinos and beyond to global cuisine and serious Mexican fare. Innovation and independence. Tick. In their numerous restaurants, they've mentored countless chefs and staff. Tick. And in terms of integrity, bridge building, and public spirit, the list is so long, we couldn't possibly cover it all. Notable highlights include competing separately on Top Chef Masters, raising tens of thousands for their chosen charities. Supporting the professional development group, Women Chefs and Restauranteurs, which Mary Sue helped co found, and helping create sustainability focused Chefs Collaborative, a professional development and educational nonprofit for chefs. Tick. And then they've gone one further. They are the rarest of breeds, a chef team, more than 35 years of successful partnership. Three cheers for all that co chefs Mary Sue Milliken and Susan Venegar represent and continue to pursue with a lot of heart and soul. Welcome to the podcast, Mary Sue and Susan.
2: Thank you. Well, thank you.
1: So naturally, we've got to start with the great news about being the first team to receive the Julia Child Award. So what does it mean to you guys to receive it? Mary Sue, do you want to start?
2: Well, yeah, I feel like it's an incredible honor, very humbling and thrilling. And um, especially... means a lot because Julia was such an important force in our careers and such a great cheerleader and someone who we looked up to and learned a lot from.
1: Susan, do you want to add to that?
2: Sure. Of course. I mean, I, Julia
3: was very special to, for me. And one of, one of the things I love is that, She entered this career so much later in her life, and I think in some ways that story is really empowering for women today, that, you know, she was, her age didn't really make any difference. I mean, she ended up, you know, changing her career, and to become one of the most iconic figures in our industry, I think is absolutely incredible. And she was so smart and funny, and, you know, we just had such respect for her. And I think that's something that, from the very beginning of our careers, really influenced me on how I was in the kitchen. She just had a huge effect on me.
1: Wow. Well, that makes me makes me think for you guys that if you've accomplished what you've accomplished in in this amount of time, if Julia started at fifty, well, in the next forty years, you guys have a lot to do.
3: (laughs) I know. It's funny. We've you know in the past we've gotten like a from the California Restaurant Association, I think like a Lifetime Achievement Award, and we were both sort of. It's funny because people think of us as one because we've been partners for so long.
2: Yeah. And it's a, it's really, you know, um, special because we are a partnership and that takes a special kind of personality and commitment and, you know, desire. But, uh, and also being the first women to receive the award is very exciting to me.
1: Well, well, let's take one of those things. So as me- people may or may not know, or you guys may or may not remember, the award is actually designed to recognize an individual. And that really came out of people rather than organizations or or businesses. But it also was originally designed for one person. And part of that is because sh- successful chefs are usually in the, just that, individuals or, chef- or restaurateurs or even food writers. They're rarely teams. And the jury decided this year to make it an exception for your exceptional partnership. So I'm sure if there was a secret to it, you would have already written that book and made a fortune. But what has it made it work?
3: Well, I think that Mary Sue and I started working together in the late 70s, and I think we had very similar values. We were both crazy hard workers, both very passionate about the field, And I think we have such trust in each other that no matter what, I feel like through the ups and downs, whether we agree all the time, which of course we don't, but that I think that has strengthened our partnership and made us a really strong team. But the willingness and flexibility is what I think has made it work.
2: Yeah, I I agree. I think, you know, the secret, we haven't read, written the book yet, but <laughs> we, we could, I think it's um, really a matter of letting your business partner or probably even your spouse, you know, grow and change. Cause as we, you know, as time goes by, people do change and shift. And I think you can't, if both people aren't willing to have that flexibility and let things kind of evolve, then you just, you know, that's when partnerships fail.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, it strikes me that you're also describing sort of a lot of qualities for a great marriage and sort of, in <laughs> do you see it is a marriage in, in many ways or in what ways? Well, actually, there are obvious ways it diverges, but do you compare it that way?
2: Well, I think it is it's like that, like a marriage. I mean, another chef here in Los Angeles has a partner, Suzanne Gowen, and she calls her business partner, Carolyn, her work wife.
1: <laughs> yep.
2: So I, I do think there's there's some similarities, you know, to a long-term successful partnership.
1: Susan, did you want to add to that?
2: Um, <clears throat> I think it's
3: really the trusting and the flexibility. And I think, as Mary Sue said, and I think that's really important, is that we have allowed each other to, to follow our passions, which over 37 years, you know, they, they shift and change. And so the way it's been able to work is that we both can, can bend like that. And even when I think we disagree, when there's something that's really important to one of us, I think the other one is willing to let go of their position. And I think other than if we weren't able to do that, we wouldn't have succeeded.
1: Yeah, I think that's what you said about similar values and that being so important. Was it and obviously one of those similar values is that willingness to bend and be flexible. Do, do you feel like looking back when you first started working together and had met that you recognized that quickly or is that something that was just instinctive and you didn't think about it until later when you had bridges to cross?
2: Well, I think that this? that the uh you know, when we first met, we just were amazed because I had never met anyone who I was that in sync with, who worked as hard and who was as obsessed with food. And in the beginning, when we opened our first restaurant, you know, we basically did everything together, even down to the produce order. (laughs) I mean, it (laughs) was pretty, pretty much like, you know, tied at the hip, but it's been sort of a long, um, kind of, you know, Letting each other pursue other things, like dividing the chores, the not the chores, but the work—you know, letting each of us excel at what we're good at. And we're lucky because our our skills really complement each other. And that was b- more instinctual than anything for me.
3: Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. I think in the beginning, we worked at this great restaurant in Chicago, Le Perroquet, and. We were the only two women in that kitchen, and we both just worked our butts off. And And I think, you know, that was what drew us together, for sure. And I don't think it was a conscious decision. I think we we ended up a few years later. We both ended up in France at the same time. And, you know, we, I think just over the years, we've gotten to There must have been a gut that we were very similar because we decided to go in business together, but it wasn't so thought through, and we also matured over the years, and we were both in therapy and probably learned more about ourselves. I mean, I think that's another thing is having been in therapy, I think we each were able to take responsibility for who we were and our own lives and able to... Address things that maybe other partnerships couldn't necessarily address, maybe because they didn't have the tools.
1: Same therapist or different? You
2: know, the no, tools no, no, that different. you get from therapy.
1: Yeah, no, no, I was joking.
2: Yeah. Oh, <laughs> sorry.
1: Yes, I'm sure that would be would have been totally unethical if you had the same therapist. Yeah,
3: exactly. <laughs> well, we did have
2: what we did have a joint therapist for a while.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, well, when we were sort of dealing with something that had to do specifically with the business, we did see a joint therapist that helped us to sort of work through that.
1: Well, I think that shows a lot of maturity on your part in the sense, you know, we obviously all, it's been so far a pretty rough year in terms of losing people. And with Anthony Bourdain, we talked with Andrew Knowlton, the Bon Appetit writer, about chefs and mental health. And I think you guys talking about doing therapy, do you think that obviously that was something you credit Susan as helping you? Do you think that's something that actually more chefs or that you are more open to as women chefs need to be doing?
3: Well, I mean, personally, I think therapy is great for everybody, you know, in, in your life, because you're, especially in the restaurant business, but probably every business, your personal life is so intertwined with your work life because it's your passion, you spend so much time in the restaurant that they're very tied together. But I think if you're having issues and, you know, I think seeing a therapist together could be really helpful. I think for me, my personal therapy was probably the most beneficial, and when we dealt with the one, the major issue we were dealing with at that time, a joint therapy was was fine, but it was limited. It was a very short amount of time in comparison to the rest of our lives. Yeah,
2: Absolutely. and I think our our profession kind of um, has historically attracted people who didn't fit in anywhere else. You know, they just ended up in kitchens. Cooking, because we were all a bunch of misfits, basically. <laughs> but um, I think that our 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 industry is also kind of maturing and get and attracting different kinds of people. And I think, you know, mental health and and physical health is something that we're going to see chefs take a lot more seriously. Um, and I'm really happy about that. And I feel like uh, ha- you know, opening up about issues that all humans have, but how we deal with them and how we, um, you know, support each other and and make it okay to have those bad moments. Um, I think that's something that in our industry is going to be powerful. And already I see it happening.
1: No, well, I think it just happened here in our conversation that you both felt comfortable bringing that up. And I think that what Susan said about the very nature of being a chef, your your personal life is very intertwined with your, your professional life in a much deeper and consistent way than other people is a really critical point. And it's not to say that it should be different. It just is. But then you have to live your personal and professional life understanding that.
3: Right. Yeah, I think um, our profession fills so many needs for people. There's There's the need for a family that sometimes people who don't have that support get it through this close knit group. I think it's very similar to being probably in theater. There's a you know, there's an energy that you come together as a team. And so it creates I think a second family for many people. But along with that you have all the challenges that families have, which are differences and sort of working together and working things out. You work late at night often, and then you go out and relax. And so there has often, and probably still is much of, going out and drinking and hanging out, and it's late night. And so there's a lot about our industry that um, that encompasses, I think, a big personal part of people's lives.
1: Yeah, I wanted to ask you that. That's a great segue to my um, last question the first segment is, as women receiving the Julia Child Award as the first women, and given all that's happened in the last year, two years in Me Too, what's your perspective on what has and hasn't changed in the chef and restaurant world for, for women, particularly in light of the lifestyle we were just talking about? Mary Sue?
2: Well, you know, it's a great question. I feel like, um, you know, as someone who's been doing this for so long, and as a woman, um you there's a certain amount of sort of armor that you carry on your you know to get through what you had to get through in the 70s and 80s as a woman chef um you just you just you know put on a coat of armor and did it but i'm i'm very encouraged and excited of course in the 70s i thought we were going to conquer this equality, parity of gender in the culinary field within a decade or so. So it's kind of a surprise to me that we're here. And, and Susan and I opened our first restaurant in 1981. So we kind of took the step to take ourselves out of the patriarchy and called our shots for ourselves. And, you know, we didn't necessarily see or hear. I mean, we a little bit, but not just on a daily basis of what women in culinary have been going through. So I'm, I'm excited about the, um, you know, the, the opening up of this issue and talking about it. And there's been a lot of really good, positive uh, conversations that have gone on around the way we treat women in this industry, which historically hasn't been good. And the tipping culture is a big part of it, too. You know, I'm talking about front of the house and back of the house. And so I'm, I'm hoping this is a catalyst for some big changes. Susan? I mean, I think, like Mary Sue said,
3: when we first started in the field, there weren't very many women working in French kitchens. So, you know, at that time, I just felt like I had to work, you know, harder faster, longer hours than all the men that that I worked with. But I think, and I think the energy in the kitchen when there weren't many women, if you were the only woman in the kitchen, there was a, certainly a dynamic that was there that, you know, was um, there was tons of talk about who slept with who and there was a lot of sexual energy in there for sure. I mean, it was... It was a guy's world, and you just sort of became part of that. So you can see now in kitchens certainly a shift when there's a lot of women in kitchens. Sometimes you you can just feel the difference because it doesn't go to the same place now that it used to go to. So there's no question we've seen a shift because there's just, in general, way more women in kitchens. And like Mary Sue said, we started our restaurant in 81, and it wasn't that we looked to hire women, but sometimes we would end up with a fair amount of women in our kitchen. And I think being women-owned, that there was a different energy in the restaurant. Um, And I think conversations are different, and certainly um, given the last, what's happened in this last year, we will see and continue to see, I think, a much bigger shift. But there's no question, back in those days, you know, back in the early 80s, we would go do events, and after events, everybody was out partying, and there weren't very many women around, and there was definitely, there was lots of drinking and partying, and and it, there was a culture that I think has now shifted a bit, which is great.
1: Well, that's hopeful. So we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to be back to talk to Mary Sue and Susan about their views on mentoring and giving back. Stay with us. listeners may recall was pretty enthusiastic after baking with Bob's Red Mill flour as its quality and taste were so apparent in the finished product. We're back in the foundation's test kitchen to reveal the results of our quick bread test from the famed Fannie Farmer cookbook using Bob's Red Mill unbleached white all-purpose flour. As a reminder, quick breads are ones that don't rely on yeast but on baking powder to rise. We tested honey, banana, and nut bread. Our favorite was the banana bread, and assuming you have some overripe bananas on hand, the ingredients are likely already in your pantry and fridge. It had the most flavor and moistness. The honey bread required a long time to mix, and if we had to make it again, we'd up the spice content considerably. The nut bread was the middle of the pack. It was easy to make, but less moist and flavorful than the banana. Regardless, all are great backdrops for your favorite jam, or with my favorite, cream cheese treat yourself to some easy summer baking, give your mornings or snack time a boost with homemade quick bread. Visit bobsredmill.com today and use the discount code JULIA25, all one word in all caps, for savings on ordering Bob's Red Mill flour. Two things that Mary Sue and Susan are passionate about are being mentors and giving back, just as Julia did. So, Mary Sue and Susan, all the different things you've done, both in your own restaurants, and we were just talking about some of that history and some of that experience in the kitchen, and um, with the org- uh, organizations you've also committed your time to, how do you see being a mentor and being mentors being important? Mary Sue?
2: Well, I think, you know, I went to chef school when I was 17 and um, was one of two women of a, in a class of 100. And, you know, I I learned some of the basics. It was, you know, a, a chef school on the south side of Chicago. But where I really learned the most was at work from generous mentors who really took me under their wing and shared all their knowledge. Luckily, we're in an industry that's very generous that way, but I think it just made me want to... You know, give back and help other people, men and women, you know develop their skills and and think about their strengths and really you know grow and learn. I, I always say that you know we pay people a wage, but what we really give people is an education and a way to step up from dishwasher to prep, from prep to pantry from pantry to the line and we do we have one gentleman Jaime Covarrubias who's been with us since 85 and started as a dishwasher and he's an executive chef.
1: Wow, that's great. Su- Susan, did you want to add to that?
3: Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> there's no question. I have to say that mentoring is probably one of the most rewarding parts of, of my work that I do. I love being around all of these young kids in the kitchen. I love their energy. makes me feel young. I love, you know, I think I'm, you know, one of the 20-year-olds that work in our kitchen, which is far from true. But, <laughs> you know, I just, I love seeing them grow. I mean, we had one young girl who was just sarcastic and always chatting and, but she was just absolutely great on the line, but she just was, you know, one of those punks that it was like, oh my God, but you could see the potential in her and something shifted. She's worked for us for about four years. Something shifted for her and now she's one of our entry-level sous chefs. She's, you could see the change in the way she dressed how she came to work, her focus, her seriousness, and I just think she's got this, so much potential. And so, to me, that's so crazy rewarding. And, you know, I, we've seen this over and over again with different, different young kids. I mean, we had one young girl who now has worked for us for about 15 years. She was looking for a job. She had never been in a kitchen and she came into our restaurant one day during staff meal, talked with one of our sous chefs, but did we have anything, which we didn't. She had no experience, and she had long nails and a silk silk shirt on. And I was up scrubbing in the attic, and it was like, well, yeah, come on. If you want to come up here and scrub with me. And she did for like two days, broke all of her nails. We ended up giving her a, a position. She started learning to make tortillas. She now does all of our pastries, and she's had a child since then. And, you know, and it's amazing to see this young kid now has a career. And I just, for me, there's nothing more satisfying. I just love that part. It's very rewarding.
2: Yeah, and there's so many different ways to mentor. I mean, you know, in, I've learned over the years that it's not just the people who are working for us, but there are lots of colleagues and young people starting businesses. And, you know, a lot of the learning around business for us happened on the fly. You know, we didn't really get any training and the business part of it can be really difficult, especially for creative people. So, we have a whole network of people that both we mentor and who mentor us you know that so it's a it's a pretty tangled web of people who with a really generous with their knowledge and their experience and we feel like you know you can call Danny Meyer and say i've got a problem what would you, have you ever dealt with this or you know a young chef in LA can call me or Susan, and talk about you know where they can source a product or how, um, you know what who's a good lawyer for, you know, whatever. So yeah, I think that's it really it, uh, that's it's a kind of a lifestyle as much as anything.
3: I think it's interesting because it's so I think Mary Sue and I have really over the years we don't hesitate to ask anybody for advice we ask everybody for advice and I think it's it's just been and maybe it's because we have a partnership so we understand the value of getting input different opinions from different people and it's something that we have always felt very strongly about and the community is so responsive and so valuable and you know, in many ways, not competitive at all and very generous with information. And so I think it's so natural for us to also share that because it's just what we do in our industry and as people.
1: Well, that makes total sense. It sounds like also it's sort of a combination of leading by example and this real openness to the outside, whether it's to the newcomer or to asking questions Do you kind of Maybe not the way you think about it as you go about it, but is that it, it, its essence really? It's that simple.
2: Yeah, I think yeah. I think you nailed it. <laughs> it you know it's a willingness to be open, mostly, and curious and learning, and you know it seems like in a lot of ways that that's how Julia was.
1: That's true. All right, well let, let's turn to the big reveal, and uh, we're going to ask uh, so each of you have, have asked if you could individually um, pick a recipient for the grant. So the grant's going to be split, so 25,000 is going to go to an organization that Mary Sue has identified and one that 25,000 to one that Susan has identified. And on this podcast, you guys are for the first time going to share who you've chosen, Mary Sue. Who have you chosen?
2: Well, um, I have decided that I really want to support women in our industry in a bigger way, especially, um, you know, living through this last couple of years and learning about, um, you know, some of the situations that are still so um, lopsided and unequal, so uh, I'm on the board of the James Beard Foundation, and our women's leadership programs that have been going on for two or three years now are so exciting and, and doing such important work to to get women, you know, the opportunities that they need to find parity in, in this field. So I'm going to be donating the $25,000 to the, the JBF Women's, uh, leadership programs.
1: Fantastic. And Susan?
3: Well, <clears throat> I'm very excited about this because I'm on the board of the Los Angeles LGBT Center, and we are, and this is our 50-year anniversary coming up, we are developing a program on the new site, um, which is uh, going to be a commercial kitchen. And on each side of this commercial kitchen, there's going to be around 100 beds for youth that are homeless and apartments for seniors. So there's a kitchen which is being built and a program that is being put into this kitchen where we're going to be teaching mainly youth but seniors also to train to give these Young kids who are either kicked out of their homes, you know, from all over the country and end up in Los Angeles and at the Los Angeles LGBT Center to help them create family, create and learn skills and skills in the kitchen so that they can go out and get a job in a restaurant, in a hotel, and be able to do this whether they have a college degree, a high school education, which, of course, we will work to do, help them get that, too. But it's a program that we're going to be putting into this kitchen, and this is going to be opening next spring. And so I'm very excited because I think you've got these young kids who basically are on the street without any of the life skills, and this is going to be an opportunity for these um, All of these young kids who are interested in a program like this to be able to walk away and have an opportunity to work and develop a career if that's what they want to do. So I'm very excited about this possibility.
1: Well, and the Foundation is, of course, very excited that you both have chosen um, both incredibly worthy causes in the food world, but also ones that you both are, you know, committed to in, in, in your careers and in your time giving back and are being able to expand that. So that is terrific news. Thank you very much for sharing it on the podcast.
2: Absolutely. Well, it's so exciting, you know, to get uh, to be honored is, is you know, amazing. But to also have a gift of a donation is really, I think, just so exciting for both of us.
1: So thank you. Go ahead.
3: One of the things I was going to say that's so special about our career is that in our industry, we're given... Mary Sue and I have been lucky enough to be given a voice where we can speak out there to the public and to our team about things that are so important to each of us individually and the power to be able to give back and also to be able to help people, the young kids that work for us, to be able to see how you can give back in such a big way. And it's a really special gift that I think our industry gives us is you can affect change without necessarily writing a check, you can affect change by participating and being able to probably give more than you could ever give by just using something that your skill, your passion, where you can raise money for causes that are so important to you. And that's been such a big part of our careers, and I feel very lucky to have that.
1: Well, thanks very much for sharing that. All right, after the break, Mary Sue and Susan are each going to reveal their personal Julia moment. We'll be right back. Summer is now in full swing, and that means so is Heritage Radio Network's summer membership drive. Please consider joining the Heritage Radio Network community by becoming a member. If you're a regular Inside Julia's Kitchen listener, think about setting up a monthly recurring donation. It's just $5 a month for an individual membership or $10 a month for one for your whole household. Your ongoing support helps ensure the future of Heritage Radio Network and its unique programming. Go to heritageradionetwork.org forward slash donate to join and check out the membership benefits now.
3: When you flip anything, you really, you just have to have the courage of your convictions, particularly if it's sort of a loose mass like this. Well, that didn't go very well. See, when I flipped it, I didn't, I didn't have the
1: courage to do it the way I should have. But you can always pick it up, and if you're alone in the kitchen, who is going to see? From Julia's immortal words, we move into our last segment, which we call the Julia Moment. Here's when we ask our guests to share their favorite Julia memory, moment, or how she's inspired them in their careers. All right, Mary Sue, what's your Julia Moment?
2: Wow. Well, there were several, but um, I think... I was I was a pretty kind of young and easily intimidated person when I first met Julia. And we were um, on stage. It was about 1983, maybe. And uh, we were going to have a panel discussion about women chefs. And Alice Waters was there, and Susan and I, and Joyce Goldstein and Barbara Trapp. And we were all getting mic'd up, and I just didn't realize how nervous I was. I don't think I'd ever been that nervous. (laughs) But uh, when they put the microphone on me, I thought it was electrocuting me. (laughs) You know, those AAA batteries. (laughs) So I couldn't... I kept lifting my shirt off my chest, thinking, what is going on? And then when Julia went to introduce me my mouth went dry and I just couldn't even speak. I I couldn't even say what my name was. And she was just so jolly and sweet. And of course she couldn't remember my name either, (laughs) but uh, she said, we're going to come back to you. Don't worry. You know, she made that moment the least embarrassing that it could be. And, um, and sure enough, you know, she was able to help me, you know, get get on my feet and and say something in the panel so I felt like she it was a real gift from her that you know the way she treats treated people and that she was found something in every single person she encountered to ask them a question and pull them out and engage with them, which I think was a really special quality that she had and I try to emulate.
1: Well, you might have been forecasting this moment, actually, because, you know, Julia was repeatedly shocked for real when she was first trying to film The French Chef because their system was so makeshift.
2: <laughs> oh, really?
1: Yeah, it's true. It was such a bad thing that she was <laughs> routinely shocked by the microphone. So maybe she was channeling that feeling.
2: I think mine was an anxiety attack.
1: <laughs> well, well, we're glad you made it through there and, and, and far along from there. Susan, what's your Julia moment?
3: So I have to say that was a, that was one of those very funny moments. That was hysterical. So I certainly remember that in a big way. But I um, I loved when we did cooking with Master Chef with Julia, and we spent two days filming with her, and we were doing it at um, Mary Sue's house, and we would start at like five in the morning, and she was you know up and ready to go and we would just start then nonstop. we'd break at lunch she would start to throw the ball for mary sue's german shepherd lewis and then we would go back to filming we'd finish up at like five or six and then we would all go out to dinner and drink and hang out, and party, and laugh until like 11 or 12 at night, and then back at 5 the next morning. And it just, I think for me, it was so much who very and I have, you know, are, which is that it was sort of not, you were so passionate about what you did, you never thought about the hours, and and it was something that, you know, I will always remember, and I have no memory, but... It was just such a special two days of hanging out with her. Her energy, her spirit was contagious. And from that day going forward, any time we ever saw Julia, even, even when she was much older, she was so positive and supportive and high energy that it just was an inspiration to see this amazing woman over all these years continue in that same vein, and be generous of spirit, and playful, and fun, and yet very serious, and I think that particular two days really stamped my memory for Julia forever.
2: And remember, Thanks, Susan, at the end of those two days, she had a friend who was a concert pianist, yes. and she had him come to the Ritz-Carlton and do a recital for everybody on the film crew, and us, and it was just such a, you know, great way to end, and she had such a, like, you know, passion and and excitement about life and about culture, and this, this, I don't remember his name, but he was quite a, quite a guy, a character. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well that th- that's a terrific memory and coming full circle and let's make sure if we have the chance to continue this conversation on November 1st at the Smithsonian's Natural Museum, National Museum of American History in Washington when Mary Sue and Susan will be presented with their Julia Child awards in a dynamic evening gala that includes um, uh, Chef Bobby Flay as the MC and Chefs Tracy Desjardins from San Francisco and Chef uh, Sasha Alger, who works with Susan and used to work with Mary Sue and Susan together in Los Angeles, as well as Barbara Fairchild, who used to be the editor in chief of Bon Appetit magazine and has been on the podcast. So we don't have to stop the conversation here, what we do for the podcast, but you can uh, come and join us and continue it. That's November 1st in Washington, D.C., at the National Museum of American History during the Smithsonian Food History Weekend. So, thank you so much, Mary Sue and Susan. I really enjoyed it.
2: Thank you. It's a
3: pleasure. Thank you. Really fun and an honor. We're very excited about this.
1: Great. So are we. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Let us know what you think about today's show. You can reach us via email or even send us a voice memo to contact at juliachildfoundation.org. Follow the foundation on social media. Our handles are at Julia Child on Facebook, at Julia Child Foundation, all one word, on Instagram, and at Julia Child JCF on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Tshulkin, T-S-C-H-U-L-K-I-N. For a glimpse of all the exciting things Mary Sue and Susan are up to, their social media handles are Mary Sue Milliken, and Milliken is M-I-L-L-I-K-E-N, and Susan Feniger, Feniger is F-E-N-I-G-E-R. And they they're both are names together, one word, for Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, but add a dot between Susan and Venegar on Facebook. And to learn more about their restaurants, go to bordergrill.com and check out Susan's other tasty ventures at bluewindowla.com. And then search Smithsonian Food History Weekend on a, for the November 1st gala. Come and join us. Thanks to WGBH for the Julia Child audio clip from The French Chef. Thanks to my co-producer at the Foundation, Laura Salkeld, and our sound engineer at Heritage Radio Network, David Tadashore. Our theme song is New French Horn by Novi Valdorni. Please give us a review so new listeners can discover us. And please subscribe so you don't miss upcoming episodes. We're on the air on Heritage Radio Network on Thursdays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. And downloads are available soon after on Stitcher, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. We look forward to bringing you back into the Foundation's world next time on Inside Joy's Kitchen.
3: Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you.